Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and we are going to finish up Revelation 3 today. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, we're going to finish up Laodicea, the End Times Church. Laodicea, the End Times Church, Revelation 3, 19 to 22. Uh, first, I'm going to read, uh, read uh, something called the wrong email. Somebody sent this to me years ago. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's really, it's, it's good. Uh, years ago, I got this. Here we go. Title, the wrong email. A couple from Minneapolis decided to go to Florida for a long weekend to thaw out during the, a particularly icy winter. Sound familiar? They planned to stay at the very same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years ago. Because both had jobs, they found it difficult coordinating their travel schedules. It was decided that the husband would fly to Florida on Thursday and his wife would follow him the next day. Upon arriving as planned, the husband checked into the hotel. In his room there was a computer, so he decided to send his wife an email back in Minneapolis. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her address and sent the email without realizing his error. In Houston, a widow, this is a different person, in Houston, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. The dearly departed was a minister of many years who had been called home to glory following a heart attack. The widow checked her email, expecting messages from relatives and friends. Upon reading the first message, she fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen which read, To my loving wife, subject, I've arrived. I know you are... <laughs> Sorry. I know you are surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now. <laughs> This was years ago. This is like 15 years ago. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and have checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> now, the reason it's so funny is because... Uh, because... The original guy wasn't really dead. You know, he was just at a hotel. That's why it was funny. But we're going to see a church that really is dead, really is dead today. The, we looked at Laodicea, the church in Laodicea last week. A dead church, really dead. And we have been looking at seven letters to seven churches. This is the seventh, final one. The uni there's a universal application to every church of every age. We can all learn something from it. But also there's a prophetic stage, which we'll talk about that in a minute. But, there, but Jesus had nothing good to say about this church. Only lots of bad. Now remember, seven churches, seven stages in church history. Got a little chart up here we've been going through. This is the final one. This is the lukewarm apostate church from the 1900s. We're up to the 1900s till now and beyond, till the time of the tribulation. This is the apostate lukewarm church. Yes, there are, is, God is moving in many parts of the world. There's revival in some places. Uh, there's remnant revivals lots of places. But maybe we'll even see a big one someday among all the true Bible-believing churches. But worldwide, worldwide the church is in apostasy. Europe, the USA, there's increasing apostasy, increasing intensity in apostasy. We are in the seventh and final stage. We're not sure how many years we'll be here, but we believe that this will end in the either the, the rapture, the tribulation, the rapture, the second coming, whatever the order is and all that. 
we've, we've wrestled with that and we'll keep wrestling as we go through Revelation. But it's going to go up to the rapture, tribulation, and or second coming. But there's no doubt that we are in the Laodicean age, the age of apostasy. Second Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-4, where it says, Paul says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. In any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything and is called, and that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. So back to verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs. That word rebellion in Greek is, is also apostasy. So rebellion or the apostasy occurs. That has to come and that's what we are seeing. The birth pains increasing in intensity right now. Also remember Matthew 24 verse 10. When we looked at that, one of the, or another one of the birth pains, another one of the signs that the coming of Jesus Christ is close. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many will turn away from the faith. Apostasy is a sign of Jesus Christ coming soon. We are seeing this ramping up right now. Many of you have witnessed the apostasy in the USA church alone, just our church alone in the USA today. <clears throat> Things that were once unthinkable in the culture in the culture, but now it's even in the church. Unthinkable that it would even happen in the culture, in the USA culture, but it's in the church. It's like, watch, these things would have been a horror movie at one time, what we're seeing happening in the USA today. It's, it's mind-boggling. It all started, though, in the church <clears throat> with an attack on the inspired Word of God. The Word of God has mistakes. It's, it's not literal, uh, attacking that. Uh, then, and then, it, then we start, saw the next step was denying Jesus Christ, denying His deity. He's just a good teacher. Denying His resurrection. Denying the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's a reason why in China, the, 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 they have made it against the, the, the communist rules to preach on the second coming. There's a reason for that. Because denying that is, is denying what, why Jesus came the first time. He's coming a second time. Then we, in the USA, we saw the gospel watered down. I remember as a kid, it was the social gospel that was threatening the true gospel. And then from the social gospel, which you've got to just help people. That's how you get to heaven. Help people. Don't share about Jesus. Just help people. Love everybody. Which we should do anyway. But you can't leave out, can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And then it went morphed into many ways to God. There are many ways to God. And then there's no hell. Half of born-again Christians don't believe in a literal hell. What does that tell us? Half are not born-again Christians. That's what it's telling us. Uh, <clears throat> false teaching then has crept into the church. We see the New Age teachings in the church and yoga in, in churches and feminism, you know, the, the, the feminism, the, the worldly feminism. I'm talking about God's feminism where you know, elevates women. That's what Jesus did. But I'm talking about the Antichrist feminism and women pastors that have come in directly against God's clear teaching in his word and and then these women pastors many of them pray to mother father god they pray to mother god and and they see god as a goddess god goddess in many denominations john wesley would roll over in his grave uh there's a 
teaching abortion is okay in churches and sexual sin of any kind is okay in churches. And now even the evangelical church is starting to apostatize, starting to waver. We're seeing that so many pastors and, and ministries are now woke. Church celebrities are now woke out there and they preach social justice instead of biblical justice. And we're seeing this happening. But in spite of this, we are going to see in this passage hope. Hope in Revelation 3. Even in an apostate church, even if you're an apostate in an apostate church, even if, even in an apostate church in the U.S., even in the end times, there is always hope to turn back and there's always hope for the true believers as we'll see today. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for your spirit of hope to speak to us. It's such a tough passage to, to preach about the church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the end times church. We know this is where we're headed. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to respond to your love, to repent, to take hold of the hope, even as everything's falling apart around us, coming down around us like an earthquake happening. And yet, Lord, we know what our foundation is. It's Jesus Christ. And I just pray that we would have hope because of this passage today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Revelation three nineteen to twenty two. Let's read it here. Okay, let's start with verse nineteen. We already did the whole lukewarm thing. Verse nineteen: Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be on, be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the churches. To the. I'm going to read verse 19 again. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Uh, we, we see the, the, the love of Jesus Christ jumps out at us from this passage. That's our hope, the love of Jesus Christ. And the love of Jesus Christ is, first of all, displayed by his discipline. He says, those I, I love, I rebuke, and discipline, re- displayed by his discipline. When we mess up, the worst that can happen to us is not God's discipline. No. What is the worst? Not being disciplined. Not being disciplined. That means God's given up on us. Or, or, or even worse, that we're not His children. Even in this horrid mess called a church in the USA today, he, or, even in the horrid mess that he saw in Laodicea, and we see in the USA today, even that horrid mess, there were still those that Jesus saw a chance to turn around. He saw a chance to turn those around. Still those in that church that he loved. Not This was not the word for love. He didn't use the word agape. Most of the time he used the word agape. That's the love of the mind and will. No matter what, I'm going to love that, that person. Uh, if you have a teenager, you have to practice agape love, right? Uh, but, but it's not the word Jesus used. He used phileo. Phileo, Philadelphia. He used phileo. And that means brotherly love, but specifically affection, affection of the heart. As messed up as the church in Laodicea was, as messed up as our lives may be, Jesus still loves us. Loves us. He has affection for us. It's hard to believe, isn't it? 
after all we've done and how we've rebelled and how we keep slipping away, he has affection, he loves us, and that's why he disciplines us. Jesus uses discipline to turn us around because he loves us. Hebrews 12:7 says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father. The word for discipline in scripture means to train a child. The idea, the picture is to train a child to chasten, to correct them. That includes <laughs> spanking, chasten. It means a physical uh, discipline too. <clears throat> if you are a child of God, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to Him, if you've turned away and said, God, I repent of my sin, I ask you to forgive me, I put my faith in Jesus, His death on that cross, His resurrection from the dead, to give me a brand new life, I put my faith in Him. If you have done that, you are a child of God. And He loves us. He loves us and He will discipline us. He will discipline us. If if we are Christians in sin, we will be disciplined. God will whisper. God will shout. God will spank. God will smash. He'll do whatever he has to do. He, he will, he will block us. He will make us miserable. If we will be miserable because do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. If we grieve the Spirit, we're going to be grieved. It, it, but if we are in sin and God is not disciplining us, if we're not grieving, if we're not miserable, if if none of that's happening and we're living in sin and we've, fallen away or have some secrets and if that happens guess what we're not christians <laughs> we're not his child that's impossible i have seen people who I, one guy one guy left his wife he left his wife he said i'm going to leave my wife I'm, i fell in love with someone else and i'm going to leave my wife i'm going to marry her and i said you are going to be miserable you are going to be god is going to just Oh, it's going to be terrible. You're going to have to go through it. He goes, well, I, my dad, he's a Christian. and I saw him do the same thing to my mom and nothing happened to him. He's happy. I go, he's not a Christian. He goes, what are you saying? I go, he's not a Christian. Because if he was truly a Christian, he would not be blessed in his sin. That just proved that he never had true faith. And I said to my friend, I said, listen, this was years ago. I said, if you can go into your sin and you're happy and blessed, you're not a Christian either. It just shows you're not truly a Christian because God will discipline His children. My kids, a lot of times my kids will say, why can't I do X, Y, and Z? Uh, my friends can. And I always say, well, they can do that, but you can't because they're not my kids. <laughs> and they say, it's not fair. You know, that's not fair. They can do whatever they want. Uh, and I, and first of all, I say, that's not true. They cannot do anything they want. But even if it was true, they're not my kids. And you are. And I'm going to discipline you. <laughs> and, and that's how it works with God. God loves us. And he will discipline us. And our response is the key. It says here to repent. Jesus says here in, in Revelation 3, he tells us to repent. Repentance is the key. That's the difference between being restored or being a spit Christian. Being spit out of Jesus' mouth is our repentance is the key. Now, we talked about that last time, that being a spit Christian, lukewarm, vomited out, expectorated. The difference is our repentance is the key. Are you being disciplined by Jesus Christ today? 
Are you being disciplined today for sin, for disobedience? Or maybe you're, you're following God, but He disciplines us to grow us spiritually. He puts trials into our life to grow us, not because we've done anything wrong. Sometimes there's nothing that He's trying to get rid of. He's just trying to grow us up even more. James 1, 2-4 talks about that. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. I'm going to read it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face test- testing trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance, char- perseverance must... I'm combining Romans 5, 3 to 5. I always do it because they're so similar. Uh, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God will send trials and testings into our life to develop perseverance, to grow us spiritually. So discipline isn't always negative. A lot of times it's very positive, uh, although we don't always like it positively, but it is positive in the end. Uh, I see in our church, and I'm sure anybody who's listening sees this in your, so many Christians going through so many trials. Uh, that is God's grace. I see people in our church going through so many trials and I see God's grace in that. And I hear people say things like, I'm just ready for heaven. And that's what God is doing. He's trying to wean us from the world. He's trying to prepare us for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He's trying to separate us from the world. He's trying to refine us. He's trying to grow us spiritually, preparing us for eternity. And, and I, in the United States today, as crazy as this is getting and as, Messed up as the church is, I still have hope. I still have hope uh, in the midst of the coronavirus and the riots and the division, all that's going on. But I see signs that the church is waking up. Not awake, but I see the eyelids, you know, <laughs> the REM sleep starting to slow down. Uh, and the, I see the, the eyes starting to open and close. I, I'm starting to see signs of that. Could God be judging our country and reviving the church at the same time? Yes, <laughs> we know that biblically and we know that from history. God could be judging our country and reviving the church at the same time. He may revive us right now to prepare us to go through judgment, just like the Civil War. Before the Civil War hit, there was a massive businessmen's revival. North and South swept the nation. It was crazy, the men's business, businessmen's revival. And, and yet God used that to prepare the nation to go through the judgment that was coming. Christians were prepared by that for the great trial that they were going to have to go through to, to purify and to cleanse our nation of the sin of slavery. And, and we could be facing the same thing now. Uh, God getting ready to purify us and, and, and cleanse us. Hopefully cleanse us and not judge us. Hopefully cleanse us of the great sin of abortion and, and many others, but abortion is the, the, the main sacrifice of children, the final straw. We've talked about many, many times as we've gone through this. God could be getting ready to judge us or he could get ready to cleanse us. Either way, he could be reviving his church. I, I'm praying that he'll revive us, revive us so we'll be ready for the coming judgment and whatever we have to go through. We, we have to be revived to be able to face what's going to happen to really be living by faith and by grace. So we see Jesus' love shown by the discipline. We also see his love shown by his special invitation, actually a dinner invitation. Uh, love is shown this way too. Let's look at Revelation 3 verse 20. I'm going to read that one now. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So many times people use this evangelistically. We can use it evangelistically, but this is written to Christians. This is written to the church in Laodicea. And we always say, we, and I've heard it preached many times. Jesus is knocking on your door. He wants you to open up and let him in become a Christian. And we can use it that way. But the main application is this is to us as Christians. Very, very important to, to grasp that, okay? He says he stands at the door and not, knocks. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. This is his love. It's crazy that even after we, when we are cold, even when we are ignoring him, he's always there waiting for us. That's crazy, right? It's crazy to do that God seeks us in the first place. That he seeks us in the first place. Do you realize that the Christian God, and he's the only one true God, the, the, the Christian God, the Judeo-Christian God, Jehovah, is the only one that seeks us. The only one. All other religions are desperate to find God, to earn salvation, to get God's attention. That's what, but we have a loving God pursuing us. To, to save us, and then after saving us, to sanctify us, to spend time with us. It's crazy. Every other God, there's no concept. In the Muslim religion, I've been around the world involved with different Muslim, Muslim ministries to Muslims, and in the Muslim religion, God is distant. He is distant. There's no concept in the Quran of a loving father. A lot of times people say, oh, the God of the Bible and the God of the Quran, it's the same God, it's just a different name. No! He's different. It's a completely different God. Unless God is schizophrenic and wrote two different books with two different personalities, it's impossible. God in the Judeo-Christian Bible is a loving father. But in the Quran, there is no concept of a loving father or a loving God. And that's why so many Muslims are coming to Christ. Amazing numbers of Muslims coming to Christ because they are finding out that there is a loving God, a God who loves them, a God who cares about them. And and so many are turning to Jesus because of that. The Hindu religion is the same way. I've been, I've been around in, in, in Hindu countries and, and it, it's so sad that they have no concept of a God who loves them, who who's reaching out for them. In fact, in the book, So What's the Difference by Fritz Riedenauer, classic, classic book. If you don't have this on your shelf, you haven't read this ten times, you're missing out. He compares biblical Christianity to all the different world religions. Really, really good. But anyway, <clears throat> on page 95, <clears throat> he's talking about Gandhi. He says, the great Indian leader, Gandhi, made a similar statement. It was more than I could believe that Jesus was the only incarnate Son of God and that only he who believed in him would have everlasting life. Gandhi also said that he could not believe there was any mysterious or miraculous virtue in Christ's death on the cross. Gandhi said, Gandhi, like other Hindus, could not accept the Christian answer to the problem of sin. Yet he felt a deep hunger for real salvation from sin. He wrote, For it is an unbroken torture to me that I am still so far from him. Talking about God. He was so close. He was so close. Who, as I fully know, governs every breath of my life and whose offspring I am. No concept in the Hindu religion of a personal relationship with a loving God. And isn't that sad? That's how the world lives. But we... 
We have a God who seeks us and finds us, who loves us while we're still a mess, while we are still sinful. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is God's love for the Muslims who are lost, for the Hindus that are lost, for everyone who doesn't know the love of God through Jesus Christ. Even many people who are Christians think they're Christians, but but are not. That that they don't understand. They are in a, re, a religion instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So many people who think they're Christians call themselves Christians, but they're in a religion. They're trying to earn God's love and do the right works and and jump through religious hoops and follow the rituals. And they think that's what is going to connect them with God. But they never have that peace. They never have that assurance of salvation. That 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 peace and joy and purpose. And life, real life, because it only comes by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. God sent His Son Jesus to die for us, to, 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 to die for us, to give us real life now. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, real life now, and it goes on forever in heaven with Him someday. That's why He sent Jesus to die for us. He wants a close relationship with us. He wants to eat with us. Look what He says there in, in Revelation 3. He wants to he wants us to eat with him. The, in the Oriental culture where Jesus was from, <clears throat> the, the breakfast was a quick breakfast. You would have a sack lunch, but dinner time, woo, dinner time was everything. They were special. The word here used for, for the, uh, for the, let's see, verse 20. Uh, Come and eat with him and he with me. The word used there is, is detneo. And the idea of that is, uh, the word used is, is, a whole different picture from even the USA. In the USA today, what do we do? We all we all have our we're sitting down to eat, and their TV. Shut off the TV, and shut off your cell phones. You know, shut off, shut off your cell phones. We, they tell that's what they they you know we the kids' grandparent Kim's dad call him Pa Jim. He has a rule whenever they are eating with Jim, they have to put their cell phones away. He used to collect them in a basket. I don't know if he does that anymore. But it's your own fault, Jim, for getting them some cell phones. But anyway, uh, we won't go there. And uh, so, so he put them in a basket. He doesn't want anything to interrupt. He finally has all the kids together. He wants to have time with them. He wants to talk to them. It's a great rule. We have the same rule at our house. Put the phones away. Right? Whenever we're sitting down or hanging out together, it's constantly. You know, you know, shut off the phones, but there's that constant temptation. To, wait, oh, just a minute. You know, doesn't it irritate you? Unless we are doing it. <laughs> then it's really important. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> we the idea in the U.S., we just sit down and watch TV while we're eating dinner. Or we have our phones, right? But Or we eat and run. We're in a hurry to go to the next activity. But in the Middle East, dinner is ours. And it's intimate. If you've ever been there, I've been there, and you do have a dinner. If you're going to dinner with you, somebody invites you over, you can just plan to be there till midnight. You know, it's a long time together. It's beautiful time together. It's awesome. It's intimate, and that's what Jesus wants with us. But the key, but the key is our response. Are we going to ignore, ignore him? Or are we going to put the phone, you know, we're going to shut the phone down, put it in the basket, let, let Paul take it. Are we going to do that? And, and, and focus on, are we going to open the door? We have to open the door. We have to open the door to fellowship. And once again, the main application is he's talking to Christians. Why would, it's crazy that God has to, Jesus has to say, hey, you know, we should be the one knocking, you know? He's, he's the one who has to try to get our attention. But that's the idea. He's talking to Christians. The main application here is Jesus wants fellowship 
with us. He wants intimacy and fellowship with us. And there's, and he not only does he want dinner, but he wants dessert too. Look at verses 21 and 22. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. With the dessert is, we're gonna be, we're gonna be sitting on, we're gonna be ready for the second coming. We're gonna be ready to second coming, and we're gonna sit down on the throne with Jesus Christ. We're going to rule with him. The, the, the thrones in that time were, were couches, really. There was room for more than one person. There, a lot of times would be a father, son. There would be more of a couch. And that's a picture of it. And listen, Jesus is knocking. Right now. Right now, he's knocking the whole time. He's always knocking. Do you hear him knocking? Do you hear him knocking through his word? Do you hear him knocking through through uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Do you hear him knocking through people in your life, through life's events all around? God God winks. You know, I just did that in church for Sunday. Do you hear him knocking? Maybe you're not a Christian yet and you hear Jesus knocking on your heart. You feel him pulling you to put your faith in him, to give your life to him, to put your trust in Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The word believe in the Greek is not believe in your head. It means to believe in your heart. It means to believe with your entire will and your entire being. It means to put your complete trust and hope and dependence in Jesus Christ. His death, His resurrection, His death for forgiveness, His resurrection from our brand new life in Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? Jesus is knocking on your heart. And you can try to drown out that voice. You can try to drown Him out. You can try to fill fill your heart with all kinds of other garbage or, or in your mind with all kinds, but only Jesus can fill that hole in your heart, that empty spot in your heart that you were created with to, that only Jesus can fill. Have you put your faith in Him? Are you ready to do that right now? And Christians, maybe you're a Christian here, but you're also hearing the knock. Maybe it's getting quieter because you've muffled it. You've, you've put a lot of wax in your build up, you know, by the world. <coughs> Maybe maybe you've been, you're still hearing that knocking, but it's getting fainter. But maybe you're sick of the fast food dinners and you want a real connection with Jesus Christ. Do you have that time with Him? That special place with Him? Could be morning, midday, night. Could be all three. Could be any time. Could be on a walk. Could be on a bike ride. Could be uh, anywhere in bed before you get out because you know you get out and the world starts turning, right? You could be just praying on your, in your bed. David did that in the book of Psalms. Just praying. Do you have that time? Time, that real close time. Do you take it in your car? Do you put in the worship music or turn on the, the radio? Do you know? Do you? What do you? Do we have that time with God and, and that time to let Jesus talk to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit fill us? Do you have that? And fellowship with other Christians is also very important with us. Fellowship is very, very vital. Whether you're part of a home fellowship or Bible study or prayer meetings, uh, youth group. All kinds of groups, purity group, anything. There's so many different ways that you can fellowship and connect. But, but as Christians, or, or not Christian yet, with that knocking, the key is there's always that Jesus is knocking. Will we open that door? There's a famous painting from 1853. Holman Hunt painted Light of the World. Light of the World, famous painting. Looking at this famous painting of Jesus knocking, what is missing? in this picture. Can anybody get what's missing? Do anybody see anything missing? 
There's no door handle. There's no door handle. Jesus is knocking, but there's no handle. Why? Because Holman Hunt rightly put it on the inside of the door. Jesus can knock, but we must respond. We must take hold of the handle on the inside and open it and let Jesus in. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? Do you hear the knock? The knock of Jesus Christ. He's always knocking. Maybe you've never put your faith in Him. Your heart is empty. But Jesus is knocking. He wants to fill that emptiness in a way that only He can do. But we, you, must open that door of your heart. You must respond in faith. The simple but powerful prayer of faith. Jesus, I'm opening the door to my heart. I'm putting my faith in you. I don't want all the garbage, the sin, the filth, the shame anymore that I tried to fill my heart with. It's empty. I know that. I repent. Just as Jesus said here, repent. I repent. I repent of that. I ask you to fill me, Jesus. You to live in my heart. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, then your heart's not empty anymore. Jesus is filling your soul. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. And now you can fellowship with Jesus anytime. He's always there waiting to talk to you and fellowship with you. Anytime. If you have taken that step of faith, I want to encourage you to let somebody know you have a Christian friend or family member or email me if you don't have anybody to talk to. Let somebody know so that we can encourage you and, and help you get connected and, and, and grow spiritually. My email is nhcc at comcast.net. But for the rest of us who are already Christians, Do you hear that knocking? Will we respond to that knocking right now? Will we respond? Will we allow Jesus in? He's already living in us, but but he's, He's calling. He wants that fellowship with us. He wants that fellowship. Will we take that time with Him, that time alone, that quiet time, Shutting off the TV. (laughs) Putting the phone down. What, What do we need to do? What quiet time can we have with Jesus? Reading His Word. Memorizing and meditating on His Word. Listening to the for the Holy Spirit as we are quiet before Him. Listening for the Holy Spirit to convict us and to lead us. How is God speaking to us? Father, I pray that every one of us would open that door. 
that we would not, Jesus would never have to knock. We, the door would just be an open door policy. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I think that's enough to digest. And next time we'll be moving into the next phase of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. Put on your seatbelts. <laughs>